Thank you for joining us today for this life-changing message from River of Life. If you are ever in our area, we would love for you to join us. For more information, visit us at rolcrawfordville.com. That's rolcrawfordville.com. Or download our app in the App Store under ROL Crawfordville. Now, let's join Derek Gray as he teaches from the Word of God. Welcome, uh, for any of you that are visiting, welcome to our uh, Wednesday night Bible study uh, here at River of Life. We are, of course, going through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We have spent the last six weeks in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, which of course is the Lord's Prayer, and we continue that tonight. This will be the seventh, part seven, and some of you are thinking, are we ever uh, going to get to the end of it. And I'm hoping we're going to wrap this up next week. Now, one quick thing uh, you'll notice up there that Matthew 6, 9 through 13 is the Lord's Prayer. It ends in verse 13 where it says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. But tonight we're also going to jump and include verses 14 and 15 because it has direct relevance on uh, the subject that we're going to be uh, talking about. Now, we all know by now the Lord's Prayer has six petitions or six requests. Uh, the first three have to do with the Father, His name, His kingdom, His will. The last three have to do with us. Last week we looked at number four, which is give us this day our daily bread. And tonight we look at our fifth petition, which is forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, the subject in front of us tonight is not a, a new one. Uh, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard numerous sermons on forgiveness. Um, if, my, if my mind or my memory uh, is correct, I think Pastor Henry just a few weeks ago in his What If series preached a sermon called What If Forgiveness. So we've, it's been preached from this pulpit. I know over the years, as I've taught through different books of the Bible, uh, I've covered this subject numerous times, and it is an important subject. And I think this is, uh, it's no more clearer than tonight than the fact that Jesus takes this subject and he puts it into this pattern prayer. He says, when you pray, make sure that this subject is brought up. Make sure that this is one of the things you talk to the Lord about every time that you pray. So it's certainly a important subject. Now, last uh, Thursday night, <clears throat> we had a board meeting, and as part of our board meeting, we recited the Lord's Prayer, just from memory. And if you've ever done that in a group of people, uh, things go pretty smoothly until you get to this fifth petition. And the reason is, is because when you get to this fifth petition, people tend to recite it differently. Uh, it reminds me of a story I read one time, and it's supposed to be a true story, of these two churches. And they were both very small churches, and they decided to merge. And so they did. And things went pretty good until they had to decide how they were going to recite the Lord's Prayer. And one of them was, one group was adamant that you had to say, forgive us our debts as, as we forgive our debtors. And the other group said, no, no, no. We have to say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And as, as the story goes, and again, it's supposed to be a true story, uh, they never could come to agreement, so they split back up and went back 
to their respective churches. As the guy that told the story said this, he said one of them went back to their debts and the other one went back to their uh, trespasses. But, it, but it, this, that does kind of serve to, to kind of frame this, that we do say it differently. In fact, I thought tonight I would take a little poll. How many of you, when you recite the Lord's Prayer from memory, how many of you say, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? Hold your hands up. I got my hand up. All right, put it down. How many of you say, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us? Got one? Uh, Brother Bill's the outlier. How many of you say, forgive us our debts as we, as we forgive our debtors? We've got... A few, maybe eight. So would we agree the vast majority of us say, forgive forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us? Now that's interesting. And here's why. If we wanted to know which one of those words is correct, is it debts, is it trespasses, is it sins? Well, if you go back to the Greek, the Greek word means debt. that's, That's what it means. Now, the word is generic. It can mean Uh, like a financial debt, like maybe I owe you some money. It can mean a a personal debt, like maybe you did me a favor and now I owe you one. Or it can mean a moral obligation. For example, I might might say uh, I'm in debt to my children in the sense that I'm morally obligated to provide for them. Okay, so it's a duty, it's a moral obligation. So which one of them is in play here in Matthew 6, 12. Well, obviously, we don't owe God any money. And we don't owe God any personal favors. What we do owe God is a moral obligation. You see, God is our creator. He made us. And He is our king. And because of that, it is our duty. It is our moral obligation to obey His laws and His commands. It is our duty to walk in His ways and walk in His his standards. As the, uh, as the New Testament puts it, in a nutshell, we are to love Him and we are to love others. That is our moral obligation to God, and we have failed miserably at that. So it turns out that the correct translation, the right translation, is the word debts. That's what it should say. I went out to uh, BibleHub.com, and I, y'all heard me, I use that a lot. It's a, a neat little website where you can type in a verse and it'll give you every translation of that verse ever. And I just went out there real quick and I typed in Matthew 6, 12 and I looked at the first eight that came up and I don't know if y'all can see that, but these are the most popular. This is the King James, the New King James, the ESV, the NIV, the New American Standard, all very good translation. Seven out of the eight said debts. Only one said sins And that was the New Living Translation. So I went a little bit deeper. I looked at 40 of the most credible translations since 1587. Okay, 40 of them. 35 of them said debts. Two of them used the word sins. Two of them used the word wrongs. And one of them used the word offenses. Do you notice what's missing? Not a single translation. Zero use the word trespasses, not one. If you went to and bought a Bible today, wherever, you know, if you online or whatever, you will not find a single English translation that uses the word trespasses. Okay, so why? Why, when we stand and recite the Lord's Prayer, 
why do we say trespasses? That is an interesting story, and I'm going to answer that question for you tonight. Now, let me first, before we do this, let me jump to verses 14 and 15, where Jesus does use the word trespasses. Let me read these verses. He says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, here's the thing. I mentioned earlier, the Lord's Prayer ends in verse 13. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. The very first thing Jesus does when he finishes the Lord's Prayer is he expounds or he gives commentary on the importance of forgiveness. Now, by the way, this is the only part of the Lord's Prayer that he gives additional commentary on. The only part. It was like he finishes the Lord's Prayer and he thinks, okay, I need, to, I need to go back to that forgiveness thing just to make sure that they all got it clear. Okay? And we'll come back to that in a bit. Now, here's the interesting thing. When he gives the commentary, he uses a different word. He doesn't use that ophelima or whatever that word was that means a debt. He uses the word peritomata, which means a, a false step or a trespass. The idea behind this word, trespass, by the way, is exactly what we say in English when we trespass on somebody's property. The idea is that God has, has a path for us. And he has set us up a way in which we are to walk. And there are boundaries on either side. And we have got out of that way and gone into places we had no business going. That's what the word trespass. It's a violation of a boundary. It's a, it's a stumbling. It's a, a deviation from the path, if you will. So evidently, Jesus wanted us to see sin in two different ways. He wanted us to see it as a, as a debt, a moral obligation that we owe to God that we have, of course, failed to keep. But he also wanted us to see it as a trespass, a, a violation of a boundary uh, where we don't belong. Now, here's the thing. So if somebody wants to use the word trespasses in the Lord's Prayer or the word sins or the word wrongs, or the word offenses, I got no problem with that whatsoever. I don't think you have to say the exact word. Any of those words, or none of those words, change the meaning of the prayer. Okay, so if you want to do that, that's fine. Nobody's got a problem with that. But that still doesn't answer the question. Why do we use the word trespasses when the Bible clearly says debts? In all the English translations, almost to a to a one, use the word debts. Why do we use the word trespasses? All right, let me answer that question for you. To answer that, we got to go back to 1526, to a man by the name of William Tyndale. Now, I taught a lesson one time called The History of the English Bible. It's a fascinating lesson. It's on the podcast. If you can find it, I'd, I'd encourage you to go watch it. But William Tyndale, and, and when you get home tonight, go Googling and because I don't have time to go into all of his life. But William Tyndale was a Roman Catholic priest, super smart. He spoke, he spoke seven languages, including Greek, Hebrew, and Latin, okay? Now, he's a Roman Catholic priest. He speaks seven languages. And what you have to understand about him, in the, in the day that he lived, there was no English Bible. Everybody spoke English, but nobody had translated the Bible into English. You, had it, you could read it in Greek, you could read it in Hebrew, and there was a Latin translation. 
Now, the Roman Catholic Church of that day, they liked it like that. Because nobody could read the Bible. If you went to church, uh, you, just, you just had to believe whatever the priest told you. Because you had no idea what the Bible said. Because you couldn't read it. So the priest would teach things like purgatory. Or the veneration of Mary. Or the fact that if you gave money, they could forgive your sins. Or you could buy the forgiveness of sins. They taught all those things. And people had no clue. Because they couldn't read the Bible. They didn't know it was in there. But guess who could read the Bible? That guy. And he opened that Bible and he began to read and he didn't find purgatory in the Bible. And he didn't find the veneration of Mary in the Bible. And he didn't find the, 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 that you could buy the forgiveness of sins in the Bible. What he did find was Jesus. What he did find was justification by faith. And he was born again. And he became a believer. And he wanted everybody to know what he knew. So he decided, I am going to translate the Bible into English so that even a common farmhand can read it just like everybody else. So he became the first man to translate and mass produce the Bible into English from the Hebrew and Greek text. In 1526, he produced the Tyndale Bible. Now, here's the thing. In his Bible, even though the Greek used the word debts, and even though the Latin used the word debts, Tyndale, for some reason, and nobody knows why, he preferred the word trespasses. So if you go get a copy of the Tyndale Bible today that was published in 1526, and you look at Matthew 6, 12, it says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, here's the thing. He didn't live long enough to make any revisions. He was martyred. He was killed for the very fact that he published the Bible in English. Can you believe it? 42 years old, he gave his life for Jesus Christ so that you and I could, could I said this, I shouldn't say this, so that you and I can leave that Bible on the bedstand and never open it. The man gave his life for that. I probably shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. Anyway, let's get back on track. He's martyred in 1536. Now, by the way, 75 years later, 1611, the King James Version is published. And the King James Version uses debts. And every version since then has used debts. It's only the Tyndale Bible that said, forgive us our trespasses. So how in the world are we sitting here today in 2023 still quoting William Tyndale? Here's why. Because in 1549, after he published his Bible and before the King James, this thing came out called the Anglican Common Book of Prayer. And in that book of prayer, they use Tyndale's words, forgive us our trespasses. And by the way, that stayed in that book until 1980 when they finally changed it to the word sins. Now you say, well, what's that got to do with us? Because every Protestant denomination from Episcopals to uh, Presbyterians to Baptists to Methods, we all come from that Anglican so your great-grandfather prayed, forgive us our trespasses, and he taught it to his son, who taught it to his son, who taught it to his son. And today, we stand, and when we recite the Lord's Prayer, the vast majority of us say, forgive us our trespasses, even though that's not what the Bible actually says. So I thought that would be interesting for you to know where that comes from. It's got nothing to do with the actual Scripture. Uh, we'll get to that now. Now, Matthew six twelve is really two parts, right? Forgive us, forgive others. 
So I'm going to handle it in two parts. The first part, I'm going to entitle this part, A Battle with Sin. So I'm going to look at the first part of Matthew 6, 12, which says, Forgive us our debts. Now, over the centuries, a false teaching has arisen in the church from time to time called perfectionism. Now, we don't really, I don't think we struggle too much with it in the church today. Uh, we, the church today struggles with the other one, uh, which is not near perfectionism. But in the early, in early to mid-1900s, uh, the church really struggled with a false teaching called perfectionism, which basically says this, that if as a Christian, after you're saved, you can get to a point where you no longer sin. Okay? That is a false teaching. Now, let me tell you how I know it's a false teaching. Um, first of all, from experience, because I don't know anybody. Anybody here know anybody that's perfect? I'm, I'm 60 years old, been a Christian for a long time. I'm so far from perfect, I can't even, I can't even see it. And I guarantee you, if I ask Pastor Henry, or I ask my mom and dad, or I ask other people, they'd all say the same thing. No, I'm, I'm not even close to that. So that's one way that I know it, but that's, that's more experiential. How I really know it is the Bible teaches us that that's not true. 1 John 1, 8 says this, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. In other words, if you, don't, if you say you don't sin, you're a liar. You're just a liar. That's about as clear as it can be. That's the first reason I know that perfectionism is a false teaching. Here's how I know the second Here's the second reason. It's because Jesus is teaching you and I that whenever you pray, you need to ask for forgiveness. He didn't say, hey, pray this way until you get perfect. He said, whenever you pray, you need to make sure that you and, you and your father are talking about forgiveness. This infers or at least tells us that we are always going to struggle with sin in this life. Now, I'm not going to go back. And teach Matthew 5.48, which is be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. We, we went through all that. We should be moving toward perfection. Every day, we should be growing in sanctification. We should be maturing in the knowledge of the Lord. We should be growing. But folks, listen to me. You will never be perfect, not in this life. But here's the beautiful thing. It's coming one day. It's not a goal that's unreachable. It's coming for each and every one of us. But according to Scripture, 1 John 3, 2, it will not happen until we see Him. When we see Him, we will be like Him. That's when we will be perfect. But until then, you and I are going to struggle with sin. Until then, you and I in our prayer life need to confess our failures to God. We need to confess the, the ways that we failed him in the things that we think, in the things that we say, and in the things that we, we do. We need to do that on a regular basis. Now, this brings up a really good question. And I want to answer this question because I think the answer to this question is going to help some people here tonight, especially if you come out of an environment of legalism. If you grew up in an environment where, you, where basically you had to be always perfect, any little sin was going to send you to hell. If you grew up like that, the answer to this question will help you. And here's the question. Why do we have to ask for forgiveness if we're already forgiven? Why does Jesus say, and when you pray, when you talk to the Father, be sure you ask for forgiveness. Why do we have to do that if I'm already forgiven at the moment of salvation. Here's the answer. 
because there are two types of forgiveness. Okay, now let me explain what I mean. Here's the first type of forgiveness. Paul talks about it, Romans 5.1. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That word justifies means that I am declared right with God. When God judges me, he says, yep, you're good to go. Thumbs up. You are justified. Now, that word justified is a legal term. It's a legal declaration. It, it means that our, God is satisfied. Our sins have been paid for on the cross. I'll give you three scriptures. First John 2, 2, talking about Jesus. It says he is the propitiation or the payment for our sins. When Jesus died on the cross... This is so important to know. God doesn't just sweep our sins under the rug. He doesn't just say, you know what? I know you didn't really mean it. I know you did the best you could. I'm just going to forget about them. No, sin must be paid for. Sin has to be paid for. You either pay for it yourself or you let Jesus pay for it on the cross. And so for those that have put their faith in him, Jesus is the payment for our sins. Listen to Colossians. I love Colossians 2. Paul says, And you, God made alive together with him, have forget, having forgiven us all of our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set it aside, nailing to the cross. I want you to picture for just a moment a piece of paper with your sins written on it. From the very first sin you ever committed to the sin you will commit to the day you die. Every sin is written on it. And then I want you to picture that, that being picked up and being nailed to the cross. And written across it is satisfied. Cancel. That's, that's what he did for us. And notice it wasn't some of your sins. It's all of your sins. Folks, listen to me. I've seen people that are scared to death that they're going to die with some sin unforgiven. If I'm riding down the road and I'm thinking something I, I, I shouldn't be thinking and a car hits me dead, dead on, I'm going straight to heaven. Are you with me? That sin is under the blood. That sin has been nailed to the cross. That sin is covered. I am right with God. That's already been taken care of. Listen to Ephesians 1, 7. In Him, we have redemption through His blood, say it with me, the forgiveness of our trespasses. That's why Paul can write in Romans 8, 1, some of the greatest words you'll ever hear in your life. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I stand before God righteous, not because of anything in me, not because I'm perfect, not because of any of that, because I put my faith in Jesus Christ. He bore my sins in his body on that tree. Now listen, that is forgiveness. That is real forgiveness. But that is not the forgiveness Jesus is talking about in the Lord's Prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, he's not talking about forgiveness in a judicial sense or in a legal sense. He's talking about it in a family sense. In a parental sense. I'll say this again. What Jesus said when you pray. How do we start this prayer? Our Father. You see this prayer is not for unbelievers. I've said it a hundred times. Unbelievers cannot call God our Father. Only those who have believed in Jesus Christ. Who have put their faith in Him. Can call God Father. This prayer is for believers. 
This prayer is for people who have been born again. This prayer is for people who have been justified, who have been adopted into the family of God, who can call God our Father. Now, here's what I want you to see. I will always be my father's child. I've got two boys, and uh, we get along pretty good. And, but sometimes, you know, we, we're like anybody else, you know. Uh, sometimes I offend them. Sometimes they offend me. Sometimes I disappoint them. Sometimes they disappoint me. And God forbid, down the road one day, we ever come to a point where we're estranged or they're not talking to me or anything like that. But no matter what happens in this life, they will always be my boys. I cannot change that. I will not change it. Nothing can change that. I am their father. Our relationship may go up and down depending on different things, but I will always be their father. And listen to me, in the same way, if you're born again, if you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, if you've been adopted into the family of God, God is your father and you are his child and that is always going to be that way. Always going to be that way. But do you not understand that our daily sins can affect that relationship? In the same way that a, that a human family, the, the sins of parents and the sins of children can affect that relationship, Sometimes you're closer, sometimes you're not so close. In the same way, our sins, it's not on God, but our sins can disrupt the fellowship that we have with our Heavenly Father. This is why John says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He's not talking about salvation. He's not talking about the initial justification. He's talking about every day. That's what he's talking about. Every time there's something comes into the life, our life, that's a, that's a separation, that, that mars that relationship, we can come to God and find forgiveness and cleansing. Listen to me. Guilt and sh if you're a Christian, guilt and shame will not keep you out of heaven. But let me tell you what it will do. It will keep you from serving God the way you should. It will keep you from honoring Him and revering Him and worshiping Him and serving Him the way you should. It will, it will keep you from enjoying the intimacy with God that each and every one of us should have. There's a great story. We all know it in John 13. It's the Last Supper. They all get in the upper room and Jesus gets out a, a pail or a bowl of water and He ties a towel around His waist and He starts washing the disciples' feet. And uh, as he gets to Peter, Peter looks at him and says, you ain't washing my feet. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you don't have any part with me. And Peter said, well, if that's the case, wash my head, wash my hands, wash all of me. And then Jesus said this to Peter. He said, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but he's completely clean. And you... Peter, you're clean, but not every one of you. Now, he's, of course, not every one of you is talking about Judas. But what he's saying, his disciples, Peter, you've been washed. You've been justified. You are clean. The only thing that needs to be clean for you is your feet. What is he talking about? You see, the, there's only one washing for the Christian, one complete washing, and that is salvation. That is justification. But as you and I walk through this world, we get our feet dirty. Right? As we walk through this world, I'm clean. I love Jesus. But I still mess up. 
I'm still his child, but I'm still getting my feet dirty every day. It's like Paul said, I'm doing, I don't know why I'm doing the things that I'm doing. I don't want to do those things, but I do them. Romans 7. We become dirtied by the world and we need to be washed. We need to be clean. That's what we have in the Lord's Prayer. Come to the, come to the Father asking for forgiveness. Let Him forgive you and cleanse you, which allows you to serve Him and love Him and worship Him unimpeded by shame and by guilt. Now, that's a beautiful thing. That washing and forgiveness and cleansing is available to us, but there is a condition. There's a condition. You must, must forgive others. Let's read the whole verse. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It turns out that this parental forgiveness. Remember, I'm already a Christian. I'm already washed. I'm already justified. I'm going to heaven. He is my father. But on this daily basis, this parental forgiveness is conditional. In order for the father to forgive us, I have to forgive others. Now, just in case... You wonder, is that really true? Let's go back to verses 14 and 15. Remember where Jesus provides commentary on what he just said. Let's read it again. First, the positive. If you forgive others their trespasses, guess what? Your father's going to forgive you. But here's the negative. But if you don't, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. Now, by the way, this isn't the only place Jesus says this. Mark eleven twenty five says, When you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them, so that, in order that, your Father can forgive you. The, the picture here is God is waiting. He wants to forgive you. He wants to cleanse you, but He's waiting for you to forgive others. You're, you're the one stopping it. You're the one blocking the grace. You see, it turns out in this father-child relationship, you cannot have your cake and eat it too. What I mean by this is you cannot ask to God to give you what you're unwilling to give somebody else. Let me say that again. You cannot ask God to give you what you are unwilling to give somebody else. It's like coming to God and you got all this bitterness and anger and all this stuff tucked under this arm and, and you're, you're holding on to it with everything you got. And you say, God, with this hand, will you forgive me? Will you give me forgiveness? God says, no. You can't have it both ways. Augustine called this the terrible petition. And he points out that if you pray those words while harboring an unforgiving spirit, you're actually asking God not to forgive you. I want you to think about that for a moment. You come to God with unforgiveness, and if you say to him, God, forgive me my sins as I forgive this guy, and you're not going to forgive this guy, you're basically saying to God, don't forgive me. That's basically what you're saying, don't forgive me. You've taken what's supposed to be a blessing, and you've turned it into a, a curse. Now, there are two types of people, maybe, I don't know, but I just picked out two types of people. The first person is a, there is a people that will say this, I will not forgive. They just absolutely refuse to do it. I'm not even going to consider it. What they did to me, I will never forgive them. 
this might be tough words, but I want you to listen to me. That person most likely is not a Christian. Now, I can't say that for 100% sure. I'm not God. But here's what I want you to understand. Do you know what a Christian is? A Christian is a person who's been born again. They've been given a new heart. The Holy Spirit has now been uh, poured inside of them, dwells inside of them. The love of God has been poured out inside of them. They've been forgiven of their sins. Right? They got, I mean, they got all this stuff. That, are you telling me that type of person won't even consider forgiving somebody else? See, if you won't even consider forgiving somebody else, it's 99.99% you've never been forgiven yourself. You don't know what forgiveness is. Now, there's a second person, and they don't say, I won't forgive. This is what they say. I just can't do it. I, I can't forgive. All right, I'm going to just go ahead and say it. That's a cop-out. That is an absolute cop-out. If you are a Christian, you are a supernatural human being. You are a genuine believer in Jesus Christ. You have the Spirit of God, the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead living inside of you. And you telling me you can't do it? Of course you can. Of course you can. Now listen, I'm not going to say it's easy. Nobody's saying forgiveness is easy. Our flesh loves unforgiveness. Our flesh loves to hold on and harbor all of that stuff. It it, it feels good to our human nature. But listen, that should never hold a Christian back. Romans 8, 8 through 9 says this, Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if the Spirit of God dwells in you. You are a Christian, you are not enslaved to your human nature. You are not enslaved to your flesh. You are a Christian. You are in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Do what the Spirit wants you to do. See, you can do it. You can do it because you're not just a regular person. You have the Spirit of God who enables you to do that. Remember Romans 5, I mean, uh, Matthew 5, 7, where we looked at the characteristics of a Christian. What, remember, what, one of the first things we learned is one of the characteristics of a Christian is that we are merciful. We are merciful. Now, I want to give you one quick warning before we move on. And I've entitled this warning, What Would God Do? Do you understand? Let's say for a moment you got a Christian and you got the Father. And this Christian is harboring unforgiveness. Do you understand what happens when you harbor unforgiveness? Your fellowship with the Father is now blocked or disrupted. The Holy Spirit is is grieved over what you're doing. Your prayers are hindered. You, You can lose God's blessing. The devil gains a foothold. Now, here's my question to you. Oh, and by the way, you are not free. You are enslaved. You're enslaved to your past, and you're actually enslaved to the people that hurt you. They're living rent-free in your mind. They're living rent-free in your mind. They are ruling you. Now, if you're a Christian, and you've got a father that loves you, well, let me ask you this. If your child was doing some things, and it was hurting your relationship, and you had the power to do something about it, would you? Oh, yeah. Folks, listen, your father will not stay silent. Your father will not sit by 
and watch you ruin your life. Your father will not stand by and, and watch the fellowship that you should have be impeded. Hebrews 12, 6 says this, For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. He will not stand by. Don't play with unforgiveness. Do not play with unforgiveness. Two things, and then I'm going to close. First of all, what's stopping us? What is it that stops us from forgiving? I listed three things. The word forgiveness basically means in the Bible that we release others from the penalty or guilt of the offense they committed. That's what God did. He forgave us of our sins. That means he released us from the penalty. We don't have to pay the penalty of our sins because Christ paid them for us. So when we uh, forgive somebody, basically we're saying to them, I'm not going to make you pay for what you did. I'm going to let it go. I heard a guy say it this way one time, I'm giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. So what stops us from giving up that right? I got three things. Number one, I think there's inside each one of us is this idea that if I don't hold it against them, they're going to get away with it. We, we hate that. By the way, there is something in each and every one of us that justice should be done, right? That is, that, by the way, God believes that. God is a God of justice. And he built that into human beings. We believe in justice. We, we, it's not right. It's not right that people can get away with sin, that people can get away with hurting us. By the way, the Bible agrees with that. The Bible agrees with you. It is not right that the person that hurt you can get away with it. This is the Bible's answer to that. Beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. God agrees. That's not right. But he says, leave it to me. You set them free. You, you get it out of your mind. You let it go. I'll take care of it. The question for you and I is, do you believe that promise? Do you trust God to pull it off? You see, at the end of the day, the battle with unforgiveness is always, first and foremost, a battle with unbelief. You're basically saying, you know what? I'll take care of this one, God. I'll handle this situation. I ain't letting them get away with it. You're not standing on the promises of God. You're not believing what he says. Number two, there's another thing that we're scared to death of. And you're like, well, if I forgive them, they're just going to do it again. I pointed this back out in my Genesis study, and I thought it was important. I had a lot of people say, man, I never thought about it that way. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Let me say that again. Forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Forgiveness does not mean that you've got to go back to being a victim. Listen, I, you may come to me and say, Derek, I need to borrow some money. I've got to make a car payment. And I may find, I gave you the money and I find out you went out and bought drugs and alcohol and all that and you ain't paying me back. And I can come to you and say, you know what, forget it. I, I forgive you that debt. I, I'm not going to make you pay it back. But I ain't got to loan you money again. Are you with me? I don't have to loan you money again. It, it, I can forgive you for what you did, but I don't have to put myself back in that place again where it can happen again. I don't have to, that forgiveness doesn't mean that I can just, I have to be the victim every time. It doesn't mean that I have to trust you again. It doesn't mean that I've got to hang out with you. It just means I let it go. That's all it means. Number three, 
The third reason we don't forgive is because we don't see ourselves the way we should. Our real problem, to be honest with you, is we don't see ourselves as great sinners. We don't appreciate what God has done for us. Isn't that human nature? When somebody else does it, it's, it's like, I can't believe they did that. When you do it, you're like, man, you're, you're just a human being. We say that we forgive ourselves so much quicker than we forgive somebody else for the same exact thing. It's because we don't see ourselves as these great sinners. And when, you, and when your own sin seems small, then anything anybody else does is going to seem big. And by the way, the reverse is true. The greater you see how your sin is, the greater you see how much of a sinner you are, all of a sudden those little sins these people are doing, they're not such a big deal anymore. You just don't, they're just not as important as I used to think they were because look what God has done for me. All right, I close with this. How do you do it? How do you forgive? Now, I'm certainly not going to give you a formula. I don't have three steps to forgiveness or anything like that, but I'm going to tell you how to do it. I've done it. Others in this church have done it, and it can be done. And here's where you start. You choose to do it. It's always where you start. You make a choice. Folks, listen, read that first line. Forgiveness is an act of the will. It has nothing to do with your feelings. Nothing. It has nothing to do with your feelings. First of all, if you wait until you feel like forgiving, you'll never do it. That'll never happen, okay? The second thing is, when, when you make a choice to forgive, it, it's not like flipping a light switch and all of a sudden the feelings go away. It's not the way it works. But you start by making a choice. I choose to forgive that person. It is an act of the will. Nothing to do with your feelings. Nothing to do with your emotions. Just read what the Bible says and say, God, I choose to obey that. That's where, and by the way, I think that is, I, I can't put a percentage on it, but I'd say that's 95% of forgiveness right there. 95, 96, 90, just choosing that I am going to forgive. Now, the next thing you do is you ask God to help you. Because here's the thing. Anything that happens inside of you, it's all Him. Any of those feelings that's going to go away, that's Him. That ain't you. You can no more change and forget, and, and you can no more do any than that than you can make yourself taller. Can't do it. Anything that happens inside, when those feelings of, of rancor and anger and bitterness begin to go away, that's God. That's God. That ain't you. So first of all, you choose. You ask God, and then you begin to walk it out. Now, what does that mean? Well, first of all, quit talking about it. Quit bringing it up. Quit dwelling on it. Most people that I see with unforgiveness, they, they can't wait to talk about it again. What that person did to me. Do you know what that person did to me? You, did, you know, have you heard of what she said about this? or he, Whatever. Stop bringing it up. Stop dwelling on it. Stop speaking evil of them. Don't post things on social media. Begin to do what the Bible says to do. Pray for them. What the Bible says. There's this crazy thing that happens when you make a choice to forgive. When you ask God to help you and you begin to do what the Bible says. One day, you just realize, wait a minute. I, I hadn't even thought about that. It's gone. I mean, I, I, it's happened to me. I've, I've seen it in my life. 
Somebody did something to me, and, and I've told this story before. I wanted to hurt them so bad. And I, I just would lay in bed and think about how I was going to do things to them. And I realized that wasn't right, and I made a choice to forgive. I asked God to help me. I began to treat that person just like a normal person, and one day it was gone. And I still see that person every day, and I don't even, it doesn't even cross my mind. It really doesn't. But God did that. That's not me. In fact, do what God does. Do you know that God is kind to you even when you were his enemy? Even when you were in rebellion, in rebellion and hated him, he was kind to you in order to lead you to repentance. That's what we should do. Be kind to him. I'll leave you with two things about forgiveness. You are never more like Jesus than when you forgive those who have sinned against you. You're never more like Jesus than when you forgive those who have sinned against you. And listen, number two, you will never be free. Never. It is for freedom that he set us free. God wants us to walk in freedom, but you will never be free. You will always be enslaved to the past, enslaved to those people that are living rent-free in your mind until you make the decision to forgive. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we love you. We thank you for this incredible, incredible word. And God, I just pray tonight that this word will not be like the seed that, that goes out and falls on the path and the, and the birds of the air come and steal it away. That if there's someone here tonight that's got unforgiveness in their heart, even now you're bringing that person to their mind. Even now they're thinking about that person and they're wondering, can I really do it? And, and there's a battle going on inside of them right now that they know they should do it, but there's a part of them that doesn't want to do it. Holy Spirit, if they're your child, do what you do. Empower them through the grace of God to be a forgiver. God, let them somehow push through and see the freedom that's on the other side if they'll just, just make a decision to obey your word. Lord, we love you, and I will say with everyone here, thank you for forgiving us. Thank you that even when we were your enemies, even when we were in rebellion, even when we were violating your boundaries, even when we weren't doing what we were morally obligated to do, you loved us enough to die on a cross and cancel, cancel that sin debt. God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for what you've done for us. And we give you the honor, we give you the glory, and we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for listening to this message from River of Life. If this message has touched you today, or if you need someone to pray with, please contact us at 850-926-1200 or email us at info rolcrawfordville.com We also want to encourage you to visit us this Sunday morning at 10.30am in Crawfordville. Please visit us online at rolcrawfordville.com for more information and directions.